I newly about to be married, all that stuff had kind of a early midlife crisis at that young age where I had to come clean with the fact that I was at that time an imposter. This is the Happen to Your Career podcast with Scott Anthony Barlow. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and make it happen. We help you define the work that's unapologetically you, and then go get it. If you're ready to make a change, keep listening. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Welcome to the Happen to Your Career podcast. I'm Scott Anthony Barlow. This is the show where we share stories of how high achievers find career happiness and meaning. Today, I got a question for you. How do you become an unstoppable force that reaches your goals and even surpasses them? How do you change self-destructive behaviors that'll stop you from doing that? My most recent like career move was 12 years, believe it or not, as a leader in a nonprofit and I felt a little bit claustrophobic. I felt like I had done as much as I could to create change and excitement and vision, and I kind of felt capped. And so after much thought and prayer, I went pro with my passion back in 2012, and it has been a fun, wild ride. That's Carrie Oberbrunner. Carrie actually struggled finding his own distinct voice and, and his own passion too. Early on in life, he suffered from severe stuttering, depression, and even self-injury. Today is a completely different story though. Carrie invests his time helping others experience what he calls unhackability in work and life. I'm going to be the operations coordinator for CASA, which is stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate. This is Sarah. She has many passions and skills, which actually made it kind of difficult for her. My whole career type story has been one of sort of bouncing around because I didn't know what I wanted to do and I could never figure it out. Listen for Sarah's story later on in the episode to learn how she used Career Change Bootcamp to help her finally figure out what fits her. I had the opportunity to really just kind of try to figure it out. I grew up, you know, not with tons of income or intellect. I grew up in a blue collar home and, you know, much of my generations of family members do college or anything like that. But anyway, as a young kid, big feeler, big thinker and had a stuttering problem. So, you know, start off school and very early on kids are kids and acceptance was very important to me, just being friends with people. But they pick on you, you get made fun of. And so anyway, from a very young age, I basically didn't like speaking. And they sent me to a speech therapist back in the late 70s, early 80s. They said, you got a learning disability. It's probably going to get be much worse. And basically, good luck, you know. Have fun. Yeah. So, you know, they didn't have programs like they do today and the knowledge, they just labeled you and there you were. So anyway, I did go to speech therapy. I did find some help there, but words were never my friend. You know, words were never something that made me strong. They made me weak. And so 
basically like any kid in life, we experience pain and I experienced pain, whatever, grandparents dying, this type of thing. So rather than sharing and talking, I got into an addictive negative habit called self-injury where it's starting out as biting as a young child. But then in my teen years, you know, this is before the internet. I certainly didn't want anybody to know it was a big secret, but I basically became a cutter. And as a young male, that's super common, but I was still an achiever, wrestling team, you know, this type of thing. But I did get addicted to self-injury and I hid that secret for years, you know, in college, even in my first year of grad school. And everything kind of came to the surface my first year of grad school where I basically confided in a teacher, a professor, to get healthy because I wanted to get healthy. And it backfired. And this professor was not a good person and basically, you know, kicked me out of the program or threatened to. And thankfully, I had somebody stick up for me. I was friends with the vice president. He stuck up for me, you know, and he said, we're going to get you help. And so in my early 20s, I newly about to be married, all that stuff had kind of a early midlife crisis at that young age where I had to come clean with the fact that I was at that time an imposter. So let me ask you about that. And I feel like I am woefully ignorant Mm -hmm. about self-injury addiction. So for my benefit and others that are maybe in the same place, what's something that I don't know or would be surprised about? Sure. About that. Yeah. So basically, 15% of young females self-injure. It just means like they basically create pain through, it could be a number of things, burning, biting, cutting. But what they're doing is they're recreating a painful situation that they can control. So -hmm. a lot of times you see self-injury when people feel out of control, you know, physiologically it releases endorphins, that type of thing. Sometimes you hear people say, well, I just want to feel something. I feel so dead and numb that I just want to feel alive. You know, I want to, sometimes people say like they want to see themselves bleed or something like that because no one sees their pain on the outside. we, We live in a world where, oh, how are you doing? Great, fine, good. And so you can begin to feel like, gee, everything in my life is fake. Like, I'm not okay. And self-injury can be a form of you basically trying to be authentic with the fact that you don't feel well. It's not a sign of death and destruction and suicide usually. It's actually a a coping mechanism that helps you make it, basically. So that's really interesting, particularly to me just because we spend a lot of time on this show talking about how to be more authentic. And again, completely naive. I actually didn't realize that those two are related in that way. That's really, really interesting to me. So how on earth did the rest of this happen in terms of, you know, you go from essentially asking for help and getting denied that help. Somebody Mm -hmm. else steps in and you end up having this very early midlife crisis that take me through that. What happened for me? So basically... I did go to counseling and my issue, what it became was, and this will, I think this will help people because I tell people, look, you probably haven't self-injured, but actually all of us self-injure. 
all of us don't believe our potential. We self-sabotage. Yeah. You know, you just ask anybody, any entrepreneur, anybody will admit to self-sabotage. So how I got through it was my big thing was God wants perfection. That's what I kind of gravitated toward. And in my opinion, you either gravitate toward religion or rebellion. What do you mean by that? So most humans, in my opinion, say, and then by the way, I'm going to go a little faith on you if that's cool here. Go for it. Take it away. It's cool. So, you know, in my opinion, you will not be a soul on fire unless you have a connection with your creator core, your own core and your community. Otherwise, we feel disconnected. And so to feel connected to our creator, well, some people are going to say, you know, by golly, I'll just work my way. I'll just try my hardest and be good and try to be my best. And they work their way. It's called religion. <laughs> you know? And other people say, heck with it. There's no way I can ever be good enough. I'm not going to work my way to be connected with God. Forget this. So they just say, I might as well live it up because I don't have a chance anyway. So then they go toward rebellion. So, you know, if people have ever heard of a story called the prodigal son, I mean, both were basically messed up kids. As it turns out. Yeah. The one who ate it up, drank it up, lived it up, spent all the money. He's always the one that we think is the bad guy. Yeah. But so is the older brother who was complete jerk and, you know, was basically revealed that the only reason he was being nice to his dad is because he wanted his inheritance too. So my point is this, my crisis of faith, my way of healing was to realize that I can go to God completely pissed off, completely angry, completely upset, because that's what actually starts the healing. So I stopped pretending with people and God, because trust me, Scott, you know, prior to this, you looked at my life on the outside. Oh, this guy's man, this guy's perfect grades, perfect titles, perfect whatever, whatever. But on the inside, completely a mess. So what happened was I found incredible healing freedom from being real with how I felt to God and found healing in that situation. A lot of journaling in that time. Words became my friend in that time. And I think those were the beginning stages of becoming a writer. That's one of the questions that I was going to ask. How did some of this stuff relate together so that transgression took place from, hey, words are paining me yeah. to words are enabling me? Yeah. Well, this bleeds into business, which I'm sure we'll talk about too. But the reality is if you are an imposter, which by the way, 80% of adults admit to feeling like an imposter at some point in their life. I've done massive research in the imposter syndrome. The rest just don't, won't admit it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. And what is the imposter syndrome? I shouldn't belong. I don't belong here. I shouldn't be here. I don't feel qualified enough. If everyone in this room knew my story, if everybody on this podcast knew what I really did this morning, they would think I'm a loser or whatever. That's the imposter syndrome. And what's funny is that we think that will actually disqualify us in the business world when in reality, it's what actually qualifies you. So what's hilarious, Scott, 
is I have a doctorate and a master's degree in seminary, meaning like Bible stories. And I have zero formal education in business. And yet I'm asked often to consult with large businesses for business and marketing. And I am very clear with, look, I don't have the credentials. And I think that the fact that I admit that, they're like, dang, this guy's different. He's not pretending. The last guy we had was showing us all of his degrees and he was a jerk. And the fact that this guy's coming in and he's real, I can relate to that. So you become a magnet for the people who really matter. Now you'll repel all the other fake people because they're like, if I get close to this guy, I maybe have to admit my stuff too. But that's why I think our brand has blown up because people are attracted to authenticity. Do you think that there will become a time where authenticity will become more normal? Because right now I think part of the attraction, yeah, at least that I find, we see a lot of the same benefits to our business, I would say, because it's so different right now. But I'm curious what your thoughts are, because you're somebody else who spent a lot of time thinking about this. Mm-hmm. I would love to see it become more normal. Do you think that is a realistic possibility? Well, here's the thing. I think people are too authentic in the worst way. Let me explain. Social media. They say, I'm a business owner, I'm an entrepreneur, or I'm doing a side hustle, or I like clients. Then they go through the line at whatever. McDonald's, who knows? Then they don't get their food right, and they quickly pull out their Facebook, and they're like, you know, McDonald's sucks, and da 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 Just what I call victim talk. Victim is are people who lie in bed, blame excuses, and denial. So victims lie in bed, blame excuses, and denial. Victors take ownership and put their oar in the water and move forward. Ownership, accountability, and responsibility, O-A-R. I can tell the losers and winners on social media in about two seconds, and so can you. The winners on social media are the people who are adding value to others and exhibiting ownership, accountability, and responsibility. And you might say, how is that even possible? I don't even know anyone like that on Facebook. Yeah, whatever. I'm not the end-all, be-all, but go check out me, okay? And I'm getting tons of responses and reactions from creating value for people. Now, I'm not authentic on social media when I say, you know what, my wife and I just had a fight and, you know, she's da 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 Look, when you are a business leader or an entrepreneur who has a social media account, you are telling the world, follow me because I know where I'm going. Follow me because I'm getting results. Follow me because I can tell you where to go. Follow me because I know how to help. And when you essentially air your dirty laundry in the name of authenticity, that's not helping you or anyone. So I know it sounds like a paradox, Scott. I'm talking about selective sharing when the context is right. You are not a differentiator when you are authentic online with your rage, anger, disappointment, and frustration. That's not a differentiation. That's what everybody's doing. I'm talking about authenticity that is thoughtful, that is redemptive, that proves a path and a way forward. And I call this, if I can, really quick share, there's three tones for any business, any book, any leader. Well, I would say this even goes so far as you're thinking about this, I'm realizing that 100% of this also applies to any job seeker or a career changer or really any situation where, (laughs) where you are 
formally or informally a leader or somebody that you're going to be looked to for one reason or another or called upon for one reason or another. So yes, please, please share. And I'm super curious about this. Well, and again, that victim and victor was not my own. If something's my own, I'll claim it. Otherwise, I'll tell you who said it. But that one actually you can't track because nobody knows who exactly came up with OAR and BED. But this next one is not mine either. But let me just say this. There's three tones for any book, any social media. By the way, your social media has a tone. Just like a radio station has a genre, your social media has a genre. And if a radio station plays pop, opera, and rap all in one day, they are going to lose all their listeners. Confusion repels, clarity attracts. So if you go to any of my social media, you will see it is on par and on brand with Igniting Souls. It is. That is the radio station I play, Igniting Souls. So much so that if my account ever got hacked, within about three seconds, people would say, that's not Carrie, what happened? But the three voices you can have in any business, any book, are Sage, Sherpa, and Struggler. Sage is the style that you basically say, I've arrived, I know the secrets, I found the path, I found the holy grail, I found the elixir, whatever. Come sit at my feet and I will share my knowledge with you. People like that are an Oprah, a Tony Robbins, a Jack Welch. Those are the people who present themselves as sages. Other people present themselves as Sherpas. Sherpas are people who say, you know what? I was stuck. I did have problems. I didn't know where I was going, but I found a way. I got up the mountain. It's a shortcut. And let me show you how to get there faster. That's the style of business. That's the style of books that I write. Sherpa. Then the third one is Struggler. Struggler says, I see a problem. I have no idea how to fix it. But if you also see this problem, and if you want to learn together, let's figure it out. And that would be books like Blue Like Jazz, just to borrow one, Donald Miller's book, where he basically was like, you know, there's a problem with religion today. And I see a problem. And I'm willing to call everybody out. And I don't have a solution. But come on with me and we'll find a way together. And those books work as well. You can have any approach, but what you get slammed for is if you pretend you're a sage and you're really a struggler, you will get lit up. Tell me why. People don't want imposters. If you say, I've been there, I've done this, I figured everything out, come sit at my feet, and people do a little digging on social media, which just the other day, something showed up on my Facebook feed. High school girls discover with detective work, principals, credentials are fraud, whatever something like that. And guess what? She got fired. And she presented herself as, oh, I, I've been there. I've done this school. I got it all figured out. I should be the principal. And she got called out. She's done. So that's the only place where you get nailed. If people can accept struggler if that's how you come off. And I think if you're a sage and you come off as a struggler, people will call that out too. Because they're like, this dude can't relate. This person can't relate to my pain. They're being fake. They're placating me. I was unsure about how to define myself because I've amassed a variety of skills over the years. I was confused about my professional identity and I felt lost and unsure about which route to move forward in. Okay, here's the thing. So Tinder's array of skills and his experiences, it made it really difficult for him to nail down what he actually wanted. 
I wanted to clarify my skills and interests with a view to identifying my next career move. When he came to us for coaching, he gained some much needed clarity. Career coaching was, has been enormously helpful in refining and defining my skill set, my strengths, my interests, and most importantly, the areas of opportunity that are now available to me. I am clearer about my identity, uh, what I can offer future employers, and also what services others can buy from me if I choose to go self-employed. Now, Sutender really put in the work to make things happen for his career. Congratulations, Sutender, on identifying what work fits you. Also, if you want to figure out what work fits you and find that fulfilling career that lights you up, gives you purpose, and want help making it happen, coaching can help you step by step. Want to find out how? Go to happentoyourcareer.com and click on career coaching to apply or simply pause this and text my coach. That's M-Y coach to 44222. Pause right now and we'll send over the application. I would say do not hesitate to give it a go. It's absolutely an investment in yourself. So if people are thinking about their social media and how their accounts project themselves or create perceptions Mm -hmm. and they're really just getting started and even thinking about this in this particular way, like projecting an intentional perception versus accidental or Mm -hmm. I don't know, substitute another word here that's in between accidental and intentional, but something other, how would you advise them to get started? Like what are a couple of ways that they can think about this slightly differently in between going directly to Sage, Sherpa, and Struggler, how can they immediately make a major difference? Number one, alignment. You got to get the radio station genre right. Meaning, look, most people's social media, I'm being silly, but this is how it goes. My dogs are so cute. Then it's, I hate what's going on right now with politics. And then it's like, love this video about cats. And then going to the monster truck show tonight. And then it's, hey, I I got a business. If you're interested in my coaching, private message me. And then it's, I'm just so sick of Starbucks not serving hot coffee. Like that's people's normal social media. And what I'm saying is like social media today is your personal TV station. It's called Facebook Live or YouTube. It's your own PR firm. It's called Twitter. It's your own publishing company. It's called WordPress. Like you have everything today that 30 years ago, people would have died for. They would have needed to be big business to do it. So the fact that you have all these tools and the fact that you're not clear, that's a dangerous game. I would rather have people stop, take a hiatus from social media, rebrand themselves understand what their brand is. I mean, we do this with Dream Job Boot Camp and many of our programs, but we say clarity attracts, confusion repels. And you will keep repelling people inadvertently or intentionally the more you just attach your social media to your brain without doing the important task of thinking. So this is really interesting to me. I'm thinking about this for lots of different uses. For example, right now we're hiring for two new team members and we are going through and we're looking at their social media accounts right now and learning almost stream of consciousness flow in a lot of cases, like what you're talking about, about them. 
as people. So we are getting a level of authenticity, but possibly not the level of authenticity that they intend on sharing with us. In another example, this is something that we use all the time too for geez, a variety of different reasons, reaching out to other companies that we want to partner with or collaborate with or Mm -hmm. whatever else it happens to be. We just sent a gift to somebody the other day based on what she had on her social media because she took the time to interact with us and we learned a whole bunch of stuff. Maybe some of the things she didn't want us to learn, I don't know, Oh yeah, from her social media. But it seems to me that just from a very, very small amount of intention like you're talking about in really trying to determine what type of channel is it in the first place? At a minimum, do you want to project jazz versus R&B and at least making that decision? Then that's going to cause a major difference in every aspect because people have access to it. And I think that's both a powerful thing and a detractor, as we're finding yeah. in some of the cases for 40 job applications and a bunch of people that had reached out to us for one position. And sure. And a whole bunch of those people are not going to progress in the process because of some of that. Yeah. I mean, you go to my website, carryoverburner.com, immediately you have what's called my VPS, my value proposition statement. And what I tell people is that your value proposition statement is essentially, think of yourself as a drive through restaurant. When people go to your website, they're essentially going through your drive through window and they're shouting, hey, I heard you might be able to help me. What do you serve here? You know, in other words, hey, I hear you serve food here. What do you have? If the person taking your order has to turn around and you hear them say to their coworker, the guy wants to know what we serve. I don't know. What should I tell him? What are you going to do at that window? (laughs) You're going to jive away. Probably. You're going to be like, what the heck? These people don't even know what they serve. What's going on here? Unfortunately, if I told most people, I'm going to be honest, even most of your listeners, why? Because your listeners are amazing and if they are like the majority of the population, most people don't know what they serve. Meaning if I had $1,000 and I said, Scott told me I need to hire you, that you can help me, what can you help me do? I have $1,000. Most people do not know what they would say. They don't have clarity. And when you don't have clarity on what you're gonna help a potential client do, they're not gonna hire you. And so on my website, it says, I am an author, coach, and speaker. By the way, the VPS formula, I'll tell it to you, then I'll tell you mine. I am a blank who helps blank do or understand blank so that blank. That's it. I'm a blank who helps blank do or understand blank so that blank. That's your VPS. That's your value proposition statement. That's why you make income because you're creating value for someone in those areas. So mine is I am an author, coach, and speaker who helps individuals and organizations clarify, that's what I'm selling, clarity, who they are, why they're here and where they're going so they can become a soul on fire, experience unhackability and share their message with the world. Scott, what the secret sauce is in there is that I literally have a product or service for each word in that sentence. So when I say I'm an author, boom, you go to Amazon, I'm right there. When it says I'm a coach, boom, I have programs. I'm a speaker, you can hire me. And then who you are, identity, why you're here, purpose, and where you're going, direction. So every one of my VPS statements has a product or service tied to it. That's where you can build a very cool life, very cool business. Let's talk about that for a little bit. And this might be a good time to actually shift gears because speaking of building a great life, building a very cool life or very cool business or very cool anything for that matter. One of the things that you had mentioned earlier as we were chatting was the concept of 
one of the biggest things that stops us from that is really ourselves, right? And these struggles that we experience. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to come back and ask you about that idea of, first of all, what is stopping us? And Mm -hmm. what does that actually look like? What do you mean by that? And then second of all, you mentioned this idea of unhackability. I really want to dig into that a bit as well. Sure. Most people are getting stopped because they are thinking about themselves. Now, I know that sounds really weird. That sounds like, well, what do you mean? I don't think I'm good enough. Yeah. Who are you focusing on right right there? Yourself. In other words, I've picked up clients at coffee shops, at parks pushing my daughter on the swing and they're pushing their daughter on the swing. I have a term that's called show up, filled up. Show up, filled up. It means that everywhere you go, you are full. Meaning you do not go into any relationship or exchange empty. People feel that. I've picked up $5,000 clients on an airplane sitting next to a complete stranger. Why? Because I showed up, filled up. And I said, how you doing? And she said, great. And I said, where are you going to? Ohio. She said, I was just at a conference. Oh, really? Tell me about it. Comes out that she's at a conference and she wants to someday return to the conference as a speaker. Well, what's holding you back? A book. Really? I'm an author coach. Really? I've been working on a book. I keep getting stuck. Really? How about we, in the remaining flights, come up with your title, subtitle, and table of contents? And she's like, you could seriously do that? Absolutely. What I had to do is shut off my phone, shut off my computer, sit there and give value to this woman for two hours. And guess what? I showed up, filled up. She purchased. She bought. That's how you do sales. Sales is not, oh, crap, if I give my best statement, they'll know that I have nothing else to give. You know, if I give my best away for free, then no one will buy from me. That's scarcity thinking. So what I'd love people to do, Scott, is to show up filled up. And that means focus on the person in front of you. They have a name, they have fears, they have dreams, they have desires. And guess what? You have massive skills. Every one of your listeners is a guru and an expert at something. But here's the problem. They're too familiar with it. They think it's too easy. No one would. What do you mean people don't know how to do interior decorating? Everybody knows how to do that. What I want your listeners to do is say, what if at least three people asked me for advice on? That probably is a business. What it illustrates is there's a need out there. People assume that you are credible. You are credible. That's why they're asking you for advice. And all you need to do is find a way how to monetize it. And most of us are scared to death to ask for money and to talk to strangers because that's what we were told as kids. Don't talk to strangers and don't ask people for money. (laughs) Then we say, oh, go out in the business world. (laughs) Go talk to strangers and And go make money. By the way. (laughs) Yeah. You see? So we have this psychological repellent from what we think is that guy or that girl who appears salesy. Here's what I tell people. Selling is serving. Selling is serving and marketing is storytelling. So I ask people, can you tell stories and can you serve people? And if they say yes, I say you would be an awesome in sales and marketing. I think that's true for nearly everything that requires any amount of sales, which most things do. Yes. Everybody is in the sales business, even parents trying to get their kids to eat green beans. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bring on something else when that airplane is not working. (laughs) Right. So why are all of us so resistant then to those pieces or why 
are more of us not relating those those two together. Why are we resistant to those, you say? Yeah, particularly the selling. And I mean, we, we just mentioned that, I guess, from early on, we're told not to talk to strangers. By the way, I'm mentally celebrate that conversation with my daughter the other day that says, no, here's how you talk to strangers. So there you go. That's cool. That's really cool. I think that we don't really believe that we have value. That's what it comes down to. Look, if you honestly, if you honestly had a cure for cancer, would you say, well, you know, I know Billy over there has cancer and I know he's dying, but gee, he might not like what I tell him. He might be offended. He might reject me. Maybe I should just keep that secret about cancer to myself and let him go through chemotherapy again. No. You would be like, no. Especially if you had a loved one die of cancer. You would say, I don't want anyone to go through that. And you would be focused on them, not you. Too many of us, we don't think that there is a cancer. We don't think we have a cure. And we are focused on ourselves and our own inability. And that's why we get hacked, you know, in that language that I use. So how do you get over that? What can you do about it? Yeah, I'll tell you how I got over it. I said, I'm just going to stop judging myself. When I am talking with someone, this was early in my quote, you know, five years of going pro. I said, because again, the stakes were high. My wife was not one of these, hey, Carrie, you can do anything. I'm going to go support you, quitting your job, and you just go make it happen, and you can do anything. She was like, you better bring in the money because we got three kids, and we are turning down health insurance and a mortgage, and you better make it happen. You know, I mean, so I married a truth teller, and I needed that. So very nervous. Stakes are very high for me. I did a side hustle. I teach that in my book called Day Job to Dream Job. I don't think if you can that you should just do the romantic thing that never works and just say, well, I'm quit my job and I'll go figure it out. I don't think that's smart because you haven't developed the character yet of a side hustle. Change of location doesn't mean change of the person. You need to become the person worthy of your dream job while you're in your day job. But anyway, long story short, I stopped judging myself. And when I was sitting with a potential client and I said, oh my gosh, how am I coming off right now? Am I sounding stupid? What does this person need? My mind's starting to go blank. I'm getting nervous. I'm coming to the money part. He's probably going to say no. I feel awkward. All I said was, isn't that interesting? That's the phrase I said, Scott. So I said, isn't that interesting? Just when I'm about to help this guy and lead him in a deeper relationship, through a coaching program that I start to get nervous. Isn't that interesting? And all I did was acknowledged the fear. I didn't judge it, push it down. That makes you focus on it. So I would encourage people just as simple as saying, isn't that interesting? Use that phrase next time you feel yourself getting hacked and losing focus. People don't want to be sold. People want to be helped. Raise the objections before they can. And when you do that and you're not tied to the outcome, people feel it. I always put a guarantee on our products that actually creates more sales. If people can write down these six words, we call this the deeper path payoff. It says income's never the problem. Everyone says income's the problem. Well, how am I going to make the money? Income's never the problem. It all starts with clarity. I'm going to say six words. I'm going to tell you how they all flow from the other. Clarity produces competence. Once you're clear, you know what you're good at. You're competent.
that produces confidence. So you have clarity, competence, confidence. Once you have those three things, people are like, hmm, I'm going to listen. They're going to pay attention. Notice our currency today is not money, it's attention. So they're going to pay attention. Now you are influencing them, which then allows you to impact them, which then allows you to gain income. So the six words are deeper path payoff, clarity, competence, confidence, influence, impact, income. That's how every sale works. And when people focus on the money, they're focusing on the transaction rather than the transformation. Carrie, let me pull you back for just a second because I'm really curious and I don't want us to lose it. What happens after you stop judging yourself and you're using this phrase, isn't that interesting? Yeah. To create this unhackability for yourself. Crazy story. It's a movie analogy, but those are the best ones. You know, in the movie Inception, Leonardo DiCaprio basically plays this guy who goes inside of dreams to steal dreams. And once he was in the dream, everything was cool. Everything was cool. He was operating inside the dream. No one knew he was trying to steal the dream. When he started to think about it, then everything got weird and all the people in the dream turned on him and basically wanted to tear him apart. So what I'm saying is that acknowledging, isn't that interesting, allows you to refocus on the client in front of you. That's what I'm talking about. I'm saying, well, when you say, oh, crap, I'm starting to think about my voice and do I sound confident in this moment, you've immediately left the scene. The client feels that. The client says, whoa, where did my potential coach go? You cannot be in two places at once. You're inside your head right now judging yourself about your effectiveness. You've lost the client. Imagine a brain surgeon doing that. A brain surgeon playing Xbox while he's doing brain surgery. No one would do that. <laughs> Horrible doctor. But that's what we do. We go play around with our self-limiting beliefs and say, well, you know, I think the client won't even realize it. No, you don't judge, and but you show up filled up. You refocus on the client in front of you and play a trick. See how many times I can count the word that they say, you know, the forces you to focus, whatever. But People can tell. That creates confidence. A guy who was in the room with Paul Abdul and she wanted to hire potential people. And every guy walked in trying to sell her. Oh, you should hire me because I did this, 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 this project, this project, da, 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 da. My friend walked up to her, sat close to her and said, Paula, in fact, didn't even sit closer, sat like knelt down eye level and looked her in the eye and said, Paula, what do you need? That's the one she hired. People do not want all the credentials. They want to know that you care, that you're listening, and that you will help them. So I love that for a whole variety of reasons. But shifting that focus, or I know there's a term for it, and for whatever reason, it's escaping me right now. But inserting that trigger point in there where you've made the decision in advance to, first of all, observe as opposed to judge, mm -hmm. and then giving yourself the freedom to practice that by inserting that, that question of, Hey, isn't that interesting? Isn't and acknowledging when that's happening. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's really the first step to being able to change any type of unconscious behavior or emotion or sure. anything else. So absolutely love that. And then shifting that focus to other people and focusing on, it sounds like how you can help. Yeah. Selling is serving. 
awesome. Hey, I really, really appreciate that. I really appreciate you taking the time today and being able to take us through your story and mm-hmm. share a few anecdotes too. I love this stuff. But I'm really curious for other folks that are very interested in, in getting more carry, where can they find out more about you and what you do and some of the things that we've mentioned today? Yeah. So carryoverrunner.com is where you can find out a lot of things. That's where everything is. If people say, hey, you know, I want to learn more about books, it's carryoverrunner.com slash book. But I'm just excited what you're doing, Scott. I'm very passionate about helping people close the gap between their ideas and implementing. And that's our unhackability thing. And we do have a free assessment people can take at elixirprojectbook.com. Elixirprojectbook.com. That's my fiction book. It was super fun to write. And it's a metaphor for how many of us get hacked by our own self-limiting beliefs and how to close that gap. Hey, we touched on the subject of passion in this episode with Carrie, but really honestly didn't dig into it that much. One of the funny things that I've observed working with people is that many of us want to feel passionate about our work, but honestly, most of us don't really understand what passion is. Or even if we have our own succinct definition, it's dramatically different than the next person's. Passion is bigger. It's who you are coupled with what you have to offer the world. And your job is how you can express that in so many different ways. So your passion is like a North Star and your job is fueled by your passion. Next week, we dig into what passion really is with my friend and also world-renowned career coach, Christy Mems. Until then, I will see you later. I am out. Adios.